2: Welcome to I'm Absolutely Fine, the podcast from the middle that looks at all the glamour and indignity of being a grown-up.
0: Hello everybody, I'm Annabelle and I'm absolutely fine, but we're now in December.
2: (laughs) Don't panic that was like everybody. an invo- involuntary, like, tinsel vomit.
0: Yeah, it's December. And normally in December, at this point, I've been thinking, oh my God, I've got to get it done. It's nearly Christmas, will I get it done? And the difference this year is that I don't give a fuck. <laughs> it's beginning to look a lot like fuck this. It is. Um, and I'll do the fairs and I'll do the concerts and I suppose I'll do the shopping. And uh, But I'm going to sort of sleepwalk through it. I'm not excited. I'm also not even stressed. Will I get it done? Listen, it's not my first rodeo. There's an inevitability about it. I got it done every year before. I'll get it done this year again. So I have a feeling this is indicative of a wider mental health issue, but that's perhaps for another podcast. How are you?
2: Hi, I'm Emily. I'm absolutely fine. But in keeping with the theme, I woke up this morning and honestly, my first thought was, oh, I've got to wash my hair. But it felt like like a proper mission. And it's not like my hair is high maintenance. It's not like I'm using anything but one shampoo. It's not like I'm kind of going you to dry it. don't even dry it, it do you? No, don't even dry it. It's really a sort of, but it was a sort of pathetic kind of, I don't want to in any way kind of slow my, myself down this morning by washing my hair or just sort of putting any effort in Well, whatsoever. it's the idea that
0: when you're at capacity... Well, you, basically, that we all operate at capacity. And we've always said it only takes a few things to just tip us over the edge. But if, if that thing has become washing one's hair, <laughs> then really, I feel like the walls are closing in.
2: It's a really low bar. Yeah. OK, great. Well, anyway, so 1st of December, Annabelle hates Christmas. Emily can't wash her hair. Literally everything in the world is making us want to retreat to our beds and curl up with a book. But what to read. Well, enter Daisy Buchanan. Daisy is a writer of naughty books and heartwarming books and books that can help us look at ourselves with more generosity. From her hot novel Insatiable to her most recent careering, she also has a mini book out with the Pound Project called Burn Before Reading, which is full of books to hold on to when you're in the emotional quicksand. She's here to help us read our way out of the slow release burnout that so many of us are suffering from. But first, Daisy, how are you? Hello, Emily. Hello,
1: Annabelle. I'm absolutely fine. But I'm planning on going to the gym this afternoon. And ever since that of which we dare not speak, Mm -hmm. I've just really struggled to get back into the sort of like the fitness thing. And I've really always been a fairly decent gym attendee. And I know it'll make me sleep better. I know it's good for me. I know I will feel better afterwards, but I'm just really, it's never been so much effort and it seems to take me all day. I'm baffled (laughs) as to how, you know, maybe sort of 40 odd minutes of actual exercise seems to sort of be a a nine to five operation. So I'm... (laughs) cross and resentful
0: hasn't our sense of routine been exploded and our sense of how it might be easy to leave the house you know all of it still it still hasn't settled not back to the literal or metaphorical treadmill that we were all you know quite (laughs) good at pounding way back when before the unmentionable
1: And it just, it seems so massively unfair that I'm trying to sort of like return to a base level of fitness, that after the misery, like, where's my reward? Where's my treats? Like, no, I have to keep pushing myself to doing this thing. But I know I will feel great afterwards, which leads me nicely (laughs) to that reading. (laughs) (laughs) I don't always feel like I want to read, and I'm a fairly big reader, but I never, ever, ever regret picking up a book.
0: Yeah, it's true. There's nothing bad for you about it, is there?
1: It's true. It always, I think, kind of works a muscle, whether that's an empathy muscle, whether it's making you laugh. You know, it does always transport me. Um, I'm slowly, slowly working my way through Bleak House at the moment, and I'm reading a chapter or two every morning. I have put off reading this book for my whole adult life, my whole life, really, because it's called Bleak House. I find mm. <laughs> <is> so unappealing. <laughs> Why I find to read about a Bleak House. And I'm kind of waiting for the moment when... I just want to curl up with it and read for hours and hours and hours. On. And that hasn't quite happened yet. But I am surprised at how funny it is. I'm really surprised when I realise how much of the other writers I love are influenced by Dickens. You can mm. really see them all in there. So I feel as though it's good for me, good for my kind of, you know, my concentration. And it's a good book for first thing in the morning when I'm fresh and when I've got a bit of mental energy to apply to it.
0: Yes, because that prose is very, very dense, isn't it? You can't just speed read it.
1: I do have to, sometimes I find myself thinking about something I'm doing that day and I've got to go back and re-read a passage or a paragraph. But then as well, because there is so much of it, I think it's sort of okay if I don't pick absolutely all of it up straight away mm-hmm. as long as I kind of I keep at it and because it does go back and forth a lot and he really does like to hammer his point home I'll get there eventually
2: <laughs> I was really struck with what you said about that moment in a book where you're suddenly whoosh like taken by it and you're sort of plodding along I mean because a lot you know Annabelle and I both read a lot are you obviously you know with your podcast and with all your writing and everything you do a lot of reading so sometimes it can feel quite sort of like you know that we're just like getting through the pages that moment when you're suddenly in it and it's like, there's nothing else. Oh, it's the greatest feeling, I think.
0: And it slows you down, which at the moment, when we are all whooshing our way around at our most avoidant or our most whatever our thing is, reading can just ground you a bit, can't it?
1: Well, can I start by suggesting a book to ground you? A book yes. to make you feel like you're 13 years old again. Oh, and yes, something or someone has just got you and grabbed you and you're like, oh, holy hell, this is reading? Uh, this is a book that's published by Persephone, who reissue usually very, very popular books by authors, I think not entirely women, but their list is mostly women, who were sort of, you know, megastars in their day who be been forgotten. This is by a novelist called Dorothy Whipple, who was, I think, mostly writing in the 1930s. It's called High Wages, and it's the story of Jane. Jane lives, has been living with her stepmother, her father has died, She can't really stay in the family home anymore. She needs to get a job in a shop and goes to work in a sort of draper just outside Manchester. And it's a live-in position. And she soars. She is so ambitious and so excited about clothes and fashion. And she's got this uncanny kind of knack for commerce. She makes a friend, another shop girl. And there's a tricksy relationship with the friend's boyfriend who has eyes for Jane. And Jane is fascinated by poetry and literature in the way the boyfriend is and the friend isn't. Um, But it's one of those really gorgeous books about someone's ambition being realised. There's a brilliant intergenerational friendship where as an older sort of wealthier woman who's newly moneyed and doesn't know what to do with it and is able to support Jane. And it's just so satisfying in all the the highs and lows. It's quite... um, I think Dorothy Whipple's writing appeals to the part of me that's a real teenage moralist where the baddies are baddies and good is good and bad is bad. And you just want Jane to triumph and she does. And (laughs) I kept kind of gasping. I read it this summer and I picked it up and it was a real like, where have you been all my life? It really made me feel giddy again. And it'd been so long since I felt giddy. It's, It's funny. It's just it's a riot. And I've been reading Dorothy Whipple's other books, her sort of memoir journal, random commentary is excellent. It's short. And it's just a brilliant book about writing and reading. It was a brilliant book for, I think, every mid-old adult is like, why can't people just leave me alone to live my life and get on with it? Where has everyone gone? <laughs> <laughs> it's a sort of book about, I think, the issues of womanhood that are that feel as sort of contemporaneous and pressing now as they did nearly a hundred years ago. But yeah, mm-hmm. High Wages by Dorothy Whipple. Mm. I adored it's my,
2: my book of the year, which was published in nineteen thirty something. That's amazing. I love the fact that it's Dorothy Whipple. Best name ever. I Dorothy mean, Whipple. What are you reading? I'm reading Dorothy Whipple. There you go. Dorothy like... Whipple sounds delicious in every yeah. sense. Like yeah. there should
1: be a little walnut on top. <laughs>
0: I like the idea that it's a book about a woman's ambitions being realized. Every time you, you want her ambitions to be realized, you want her to succeed, then she does. I'm not sure in the market for books which are all about failure and despair at the moment.
1: <laughs> well, I think in my book, Careering, which came out this year, to plug myself, I really yes. wanted that for my heroines. And I think that there's a sort of you know, now the mood is very like anti-ambition, the old the youth on TikTok with their gaslight gatekeep girl boss. And actually, I've always loved books where people do brilliantly. I think I might have mentioned The Other Side of the Story by Marion Keys to you guys before. But what I love so much is you see ambitious women doing brilliantly, controversially, uh, Louise Bagshill's Career Girls, which keeps coming up on the podcast. And actually, that's a nice segue because the author I'm going to mention next, he's a very, very... Serious, smart, learned, clever woman is a massive fan of Career Girls by Louise Bagshaw. But that sort of glitzy, that's a fantasy for me as much as a romance is a fantasy, that someone should do fantastically well and kind of fly high in a way that, you know, we don't maybe feel like we get to in real life. Although... I think we're all going to do it in 2023.
2: I'm we'll optimistic yeah. for it. Uh, it's our year. Well, it's so weird because we were definitely brought up on those 80s working girl, kind of lucky Sant'Angelo, like ball-breaking, kind of bedroom-bouncing kind of, you know, women who could do anything, succeed in sort of... in a yeah, the stick that they, they used to beat us with. Yes, well, that's what I mean. Now we feel like it's the stick. Exactly. So quite nice to kind of flip that round again and to read about some kind of people achieving their potential while you lie in bed (laughs)
1: exactly
2: Exactly. um yes go so whose is the next
1: book so this is a book when we all need hope which i think we badly badly do um this is um lucy east hope she's even got hope in her name um who's a guest on our podcast your book it's called when the dust settles and it's lucy's memoir she is a disaster expert and a disaster planning expert. So when the most awful things imaginable happen, she project manages the disaster. She's one of the team of people who's kind of brought in to help. And one of her first big jobs was after 9-11. She was sent from London off to Manhattan to, to help. And When the Dust Settles is a book about her... Global disasters and her personal disasters. You know her sort of her journey as, as a mother, living with dyspraxia. You know, which means that Lucy is the sort of she's got this magnificent brain and she's so smart and sharp and on it. But in terms of her sort of sense thing, things like her sense of direction and coordination, an ability to kind of present herself in a very polished way, which is really expected in that field. You know, is something that is harder for her than it might be for other people but Lucy says the most fantastically wise thing which is if we put all of our hope and faith in the people who run the country to kind of to come good if we invest all of our emotional energy in right things happening in that way then we're always going to be disappointed and we are now but it's a tale as old as time that's never worked out and this book is about her so this is where you where you put your energy, this is where you put your hope, and this is how you you find, you know, what is good and what is beautiful. And it's that old saying, isn't it, when something goes very wrong, you look for the people who are helping. And Lucy is helping in her actions and her words every day, I think. I'm so glad that she is in the world, making it better, and making it better in this really thoughtful, considered, meaningful, and kind of efficient way. It's a book that I think makes everyone feel prepared for disaster, but not in a constant dreading sense, more in a a resilient sense. Like, we all hate the, you know, you got this, but I've never felt like I got anything like I did when I was
2: reading Lucy's book. Mm. I feel like I need to get this for you, Annabelle. Mm. No,
0: it's not that I don't think I haven't got this. I mean, I haven't got this. It's that I don't care. (laughs) No, no, no. (laughs) that's where we are today that's where we are today okay
2: it's not good i should have got it for you in 2021 where you were sort of in catastrophize oh i'll be there again keep mode. it okay, in your fine. present okay. i tell you i read a brilliant book and frustratingly, i can't remember the author but it was called the trauma cleaner about an amazing woman who cleans up crime scenes or when people are hoarders or people have died or for families or whatever and it's about that relationship between Exactly, where, at the pinch point where sort of horror happens, where the good things can, can emerge, where you can see that there are people who have got this and therefore you can plug into that feeling and, yeah, it's
0: excellent. I mean, there's nothing more reassuring than being around a capable person. Yeah. You know, that just stops the chaos from multiplying. Yeah.
1: I haven't read The Drama Cleaner, but lots of people have recommended it and it's something that I think would make a, a great companion read to When the Dust Settles but yeah, that's it, isn't it? And I I don't know about you, but I often think that, you know, as a very anxious person, I am so worried about hypotheticals and I waste so much time and I spend so much time in this sort of murky, foggy, oh, well, you know, that might be awful, With it's like nebulous sense of dread. And then when it happens, whatever it might be, it's such a sharpener and I am really stunned to discover that. I'm not just sitting around with my head in my hands going, oh, it's happened. I'm doing it.
0: Mm. And sometimes it makes you realise that you shouldn't have spent the last 20 years panicking about it. Mm. Because it didn't make... it. it, it, You know, that worry hasn't made it any easier.
1: I I mean, especially now, and I'm thinking about all the, the dread I have, and then just looking back and being like, well, I was really worried about I suppose even you know not to go on too much about it but I was messaging someone I'd not been in touch with for a long time sort of properly and last time we had been in touch was before I was thinking we didn't know would we have wanted to have known what what would that have changed and how weird to because I think there were definitely times where I thought this is never going to end and I know it hasn't ended but it's it's strange it's very strange and i think we're all still so far from understanding i think what the what the emotional legacy of this is well particularly since
0: since one you know emotional catastrophe and you know societal and financial and you know medical and the whole nine yards has blossomed into another so you know it's been perma crisis from Mm. since brexit yeah, And it's still unfolding in a really vigorous way. So, it's, so therefore you can't stand still, catch your breath, find your feet and work out where you are and what you think about it all. Because it's, it's just, you know, there's so much is happening and none of it is what we would wish for, really.
2: Yeah, and I think as well, it's incredibly fresh, and because, like you said, from perma crisis to perma crisis, it's also not healing properly. Yeah, in a very, I feel like, um, and I watched um, the beginning of the This England, you know, the with Kenneth Branagh as Boris Johnson, and when I think episode two, at the beginning of episode two, um, Wuhan goes into lockdown, and i just started crying <laughs> okay that isn't such a big deal because obviously i cry all the time but still it felt so unbelievably like oh my god you know what's coming mm. you know in that way and it was it was it was a very unnerving experience and actually we stopped watching it even though it's it is excellent but i just think too soon too soon yeah
1: i just that's the thing i, I just don't fancy it at all
2: i turned um, it I, off straight away it was just immediately
0: too depressing Oh yeah, I don't know if it was telling me anything I didn't know, but it certainly wasn't telling me anything I wanted to know.
1: Yes. Well, I think I've mentioned this book before, but um, my friend and yours, uh, former guest of the podcast, the fabulous Ada Calhoun. Um, oh, we love got Ada. A new book out that I've uh, not read yet. Also a poet, which I'm desperate to read. But her in her book, um, "Wedding Toast I'll Never Give," she says there's a family catchphrase, and it's due to her tendency to bungle DIY and to be sort of clumsy and catastrophic where I think a husband likes to say, don't just do something, stand there, which I often think is really good life advice. (laughs) That is really good life advice. Yes. Measure twice, cut once.
0: That's what they say about DIY.
1: (laughs) I like don't do anything, just stand there. perfect. So here's a book that I read for the very first time this year and it had a massive effect on me. And I suspect that your listeners will be like why is she recommending this book that everyone has read and everyone has heard about but I didn't read it possibly for those reasons that I thought well I know this is going to be horrible I know this is going to be brutal I know this is going to be distressing and I do not want it and then it was all of those things but it was also bright and light and gorgeous and I loved it and it sort of arrested me um A
2: Little Life by Daisy. Oh, trauma. Oh, dear.
0: I mean, it is a remarkably profound reading experience, A Little Life. It's a big fucker. It's probably 600 pages or something. It's big. And it's brimming with trauma. Um, But you're right. It sings and it sparkles and there's hope and there's humanity. But I mean, I don't know if it's one to read when you're feeling fragile I think it might be one to read when you want to marvel at humans and the human experience
1: what really shocked me compared to my experience of like reading Bleak House I thought it was going to be that turgid you know I thought it was going to feel because people kept saying it's heavy it's heavy it's so heavy and I thought oh this is going to be a real like ponderous meandering lumpy paragraph after lumpy paragraph of serious stuff and the Tenderness and connection and the love there is so beautiful. Oh no!
0: Oh god, she's gone. <laughs> I know. I can. I can hardly <laughs> I can think, think about, about it. But know But I know what you mean. You look at those big, enormous books, and people have said to you, you know, it's really heavy going, and you mm. think they're going to be, you know, you're going to have to really try. I couldn't put it down. Yeah, I was walking neither. around the house, well, holding it, reading it.
1: That was it because my friend lent it to me. My friend um, Becky Strickson, uh, if she's listening. And I sort of, I borrowed it out politely she was like, this is my favourite book, please read it. And I went, oh. and then some months, every time I walked past it on the shelf, I was like, oh, no,
2: oh,
1: And I, d- I think she mentioned it again. like, so, oh, so you've still got my book and the guilt got to me. And I read it <laughs> all in the Easter bank holiday weekend. But it did make me very love-filled, I suppose. It made me feel very, very... Grateful for all of the good connections in my life. God, I've got no control of my title <laughs> book <laughs> at all. I'm like, I can't fucking talk about this book. It's been months. I'm fine. Um, but just because I think that the way it's sort of talked about and the way it was suggested to me, because it is literally heavy. Yeah. it is a big book and words like heavy and big i think are very off-putting because it makes makes me think i know what the text is going to be like and yes you know, and it makes me
0: think no time and stop it
1: <laughs> but i do think that if you need a big cry and i think we all have that when this we just can't get the storm cloud to break and i think we do feel numb and stuck and if you need a book that needs to make will make you feel something and because of the the setting and the timing also the uh, stage show is coming next year which is exciting so Mm. you want to get ahead of the game and read that I think if you feel is that you want to cry and maybe you want to cry about something else and you can't and you need something that's really going to get you and you need to be broken open I would prescribe a little life
0: this is an advertisement from Better Help Therapy Online. Now you guys know that we're not shy about getting things off our chest. The tiny inconveniences that can ruin our days to the big overwhelming worries that can flood our nights. Trouble is, we all got into the habit of saying I'm absolutely fine. Emily and I added the but specifically to get off autopilot and give ourselves the space to say what we were really experiencing.
2: But we weren't always so free with our inner furies. A few years ago, I began experiencing debilitating panic attacks because I felt I couldn't tell anyone all the things that I was feeling, that I was not coping, that I felt like a failure. I was so ashamed. So I kept it all bottled inside. And of course, it started leaking out. It was only when I found a therapist and began sharing those doubts and insecurities with her that the panic began to dissipate. Because therapy can be a safe space to get things off your
0: chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a registered therapist and switch therapists any for no additional charge.
2: With over a thousand therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise and our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com/midalt that's better h e l p.com/midalt
0: better help because sometimes the best thing to do is acknowledge that we are not in fact absolutely fine another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. I mean,
2: Dr. Dr. Daisy, this is a kind of period, isn't it, where you can get quite numb. Mm. One can go in this upcoming, I'm not looking at Annabelle. Says.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm just staring at my pad doodling. Carry on.
2: But that, yeah, maybe maybe allowing it to break is a good idea.
1: Well, maybe that leads me to one of my other books of the year, uh, We Are the Luckiest by Laura McCowan, which is a memoir about Laura getting sober, struggling with alcohol, trying not to drink. Um, which is something that has happened to me. Last I stopped mm. drinking um, in at the end of June, midsummer, on holiday in Sweden. I drank a gin and tonic that cost about twenty pounds. <laughs> I think this is it. I this think is my last spot
2: gin and tonic for twenty pounds.
1: And. I have been on a real, you know, quit-lit bit. And I've always been drawn to quit-lit. And there are loads of books I loved. And it's interesting. I've just reread um, Blackout by Sarah Hapola, which I read, I've read a few times. And I kept reading and thinking, everything she's saying makes sense. And for some years now, you know, in my 30s, I haven't been a blackout drunk. I have, in, in my 20s, um, been an absolute... Hot mess and thought, well, we all do this, and it's just to write a package a passage, and everyone feels totally out of control, and no one remembers who they've slept with or how they've got home, and it's fine. um And that numbness, and realizing how, especially over the last few years, I was noticing kind of in my own drinking that I felt more and more unsure of myself and unsure of how to be with people, and at sort of social events, and trying to get back into it, and not really knowing who I was or where I was and also I was just noticing that even after what felt like quite a jolly night I felt so crushingly crushingly anxious and unhappy and low afterwards and Laura writes so beautifully about shame and about the way that she was aware of alcohol impacting her own mental health and her her life and all of these I think dreams she had of how big her life could be and how alcohol was getting in the way of that and it's not I think it's a really really interesting read of wherever you are you know in your own in one's own drinking but about I think you know womanhood and what holds us back and our obligations to be so many different people in so many different spaces and how easy the world makes it for us to put this sort of barrier between ourselves and what's going on outside and how we we're given this thing and we're like well this will really help you function and it helps until it doesn't and when it doesn't that's on you and that's all
2: your fault Mm -hmm. I mean I think that it's amazing how books, you know, particularly with journeys with alcohol books are incredibly helpful. I mean, I read Marion Keyes, Rachel's holiday twenty-five years ago and thought, ah, oh, yes, I am a, you know, I have a drink problem. I didn't give up for another sort of seven years. But, you know, I was definitely it was the thing that told me who I was. Marion Keyes told me, saw me, and not in a judgy way. She just it was there. It's so amazing to when you connect with that. And I think there's something about the act of of reading about it that sort of filters in in a way that's really kind of profound. And I, you know, I mean, I, like I said, I, I you know, I, I haven't drunk. And, you know, the one thing, the biggest lie that alcohol tells you, it, that by drinking it, it will make everything easier. It makes everything a thousand times harder. And you think you're sort of exactly you're right. You're educated to believe that, oh, we just have a drink and it'll be shiny and brilliant and everything will be easy. And I will, you know, will lubricate my passage through these things that I'm dreading or this or that are difficult and actually all it does is just create chaos in a way that is sort of you know
1: so painful and that nothing is so scarily effective in the short term and I think I was the same that Rachel's Holiday was the first book where I read about addiction and it was a conversation about arresting emotions it wasn't a oh look at the people in the gutter, look at the people who've lost everything. This is, you know, what happens when you really, really, you know, make a serious mistake. It's like, this is, we self-medicate because we don't want to feel things and we have to do a lot of work ourselves. And we do, it's easy to kind of to seek to know, if you're in a state of any kind of addiction, whatever that looks like, and however you know, complicated that can be, it's probably because you're you're frightened. Um and yet the compassion in Rachel's holiday. And this year, um, as long last we've had the sequel, Again Rachel, which I loved, and something that I thought was like beautifully observed and heartbreaking was that Rachel in that but isn't fully recovered, even in her recovery, that she's able to kind of present and function and she's come so far and done so much work and it comes up in a much more serious way. But one of the things that kind of, like a motif, is, you know, she'll be in the office and, like, the third pair of trainers have arrived for her that week. And, you know, that's not necessarily hurting her or anyone unless we look, do think carefully about who is making our trainers and, you know, that part of the production line that's an issue. But that we... I mean, and I think as well, when I started thinking about how I was eating and my, and for me, it was binge eating, binge drinking, binge shopping, rotating them all in a way that looked quite normal and wasn't an issue for anyone but me. But I knew. Yeah.
0: (laughs) There's an uncomfortable time sometimes. Sometimes you have things in your life where everybody knows and you don't know. And then that's uncomfortable. Uncomfortable in a different way is where you know, but nobody else knows. And you have to find out how to negotiate the world and the people you love with this strange knowledge
1: before you do anything about it. I think so, especially with alcohol, but with lots of things. And um, this is really something that Laura discusses beautifully in her book. It's not something that people feel neutral about. And there will be lots of people who have their own intense feelings and responses. And... As soon as you start to question your relationship with something out loud,
2: they think, oh no, I don't want to hear it. Well, I'm really happy for you, Daisy, because it is so hard and to have found, you know, a sort of peace around it or at least some kind of, you know, it's good. Thank
1: you. I'm excited about Christmas and I'm really
2: aware of
1: my previous pattern of being very excited about Christmas. Really going for it, and then on the tenth of December, it's being in crippling pain and exhausted, with a hurty liver and hurty kidneys, and just feeling miserable. So, I'm quite looking forward to seeing what the alternative is.
2: Yeah, it'll be better. Yeah, yes. I I hope so. I believe so. A uh, rare a rare glimpse of hope from us over here. <laughs> <laughs> there we are. Don't drink. Everybody will be feel better. This is not what people want to hear at this point, do they? I've got a few
1: really, really funny books, which will definitely make everyone feel better. And this um, came out early this year, long-listed for the Women's Prize of Fiction, I believe. And you may, if you've had dealings with a narcissist, you'll feel a bit better and you'll feel a sense of release. Hopefully, you'll read this and think, oh my goodness, everything could be so much worse. And this is um, The Exhibitionist by Charlotte Mendelssohn, which is the story of... Ray and Lucia. And Ray is a very, very successful artist in the 70s. He's never quite reached the heights that he was at 50 odd years ago. And he's staging his first exhibition for a really long time. And the family are all fluttering and twittering around him. And Ray's very, very temperamental and needs to be kept calm and needs to be looked after. And his youngest daughter, Leah, is there to kind of keep everything on an even keel. His eldest, Jessica, is coming back. Um, his stepson, who's not really his son, is uh, living in the caravan and desperate to impress his irascible stepfather. And it's just chaos. It's one of those books where you feel like the roller coaster. Um, headrest thing you know what I mean the thing descending <laughs> and clamping you in and then uh-huh. you're just like oh I'm taking off this is it it is incredibly darkly furiously funny it's, it's great. a really really great book to read in the run-up to Christmas when you're very aware of horrible family dynamics and tensions <laughs> and how they may or may not resolve themselves um and it's just a very, it's a very satisfying book for anyone with any sort of self-awareness who wishes that other people around them could see themselves a bit more clearly. Um, Which is everyone. Because <laughs> idiots don't
0: think they're idiots and bad guys don't think they're bad guys and people with no self-awareness don't think they're people with no self-awareness. So it's for all of us. <laughs> uh,
1: but yeah, you will either recognise people from your life and feel better or you will think... Oh my goodness, because um, also, I mean, oh, one thing that she does brilliantly and beautifully, Charlotte Mendelssohn, is the sort of the, the griminess of the house and that very, very slim line between sort of, you know, bohemia and chaos yeah. and like this is actually squalid. Like if you <laughs> look at your house and think, oh no, it's filthy, again, how? This will make you feel so much more cheerful. Oh, sounds great. I love it. Writing it down. Um, another very funny very cheerful book and this one I'd recommend if you're grieving a friendship which I think a lot of us are I think we are all struggling from not having the time with people that we normally would have done we've noticed sort of the changes that we wouldn't have expected and some friendships are harder to contextualize I guess uh, One Day I Shall Astonish the World by Nina Stibbe which is a brilliant story and it's it's one of the few books that actually brings us all the way up to 2020. And I was surprised by how like, relaxing I found it at the end. It's almost like a sort of a pressure bulb is being released. And it made sense to me at a time when few things do. But it's about two women and how one has a sort of a brilliant glittering career and the other one is left behind and in denial about it and struggling because her frenemy, her rival, seems to be getting all of the things she wanted. I think Nina Stibby writes pettiness so brilliantly. And again, I think, I mean, that's something I have really am aware of in myself. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's such a good, sort of fine drawn. It's complicated, isn't it? Because when you talk about the domestic and fiction, that sounds really dismissive and I never mean to be. I want to read books that I can really touch and feel. And as someone who doesn't want to be like on a spaceship or in Egyptian ruins, I want to know what sort of coffee table a person has and uh, what front door a person has, which is a um, an important motif in this book. But it is really, really funny and brilliant because also it's about someone who really does lack self-awareness when it matters. Um, in a, and that's done in a very, very touching way. And I mean, every line of a nina Stubby book is poetry and comedy. And it's like, if you ever like wished Victoria Wood would write a great novel, like this is it. Basically. It sounds very relaxing
0: to me, yeah. this book. I yeah. feel like I could just settle into it. Yes, like a bath. A like warm a bath, bath. Yeah. possibly in the bath.
2: <laughs> exactly, while eating an orange.
0: I read a lot in the bath while eating oranges. Which Emily thinks is positively Roman in its decadence. I do. That's I that's because you
1: had a drink in
2: 17
1: years. <laughs> oh, but it's gorgeous though, isn't it? When you can also just like put a bit more hot water in and you've got yourself another half hour of reading time, especially when it's very hard to be off the screen and you can't really be on a screen in the bath, as many of us have found out the hard way.
0: You are correct. And also now baths themselves feel rather precious. Mm. So the whole experience is a little bit more sort of heightened and treaty
1: it's so true and I justify my bath habit by having very cold showers in the morning I've become one of those people and I'm saying oh do you do it you have the freezing the Wim Hof
2: so I used to do get in cold and as it warmed up feel incredibly relieved and then now I'm just having cold showers it's great and then hot baths on a Saturday there you go nice oh
0: God, you you are quite like a Victorian. Yeah,
2: <laughs> and the only reason I'm having a hot bath on a Saturday is because I'm going into freezing cold water in the ponds on Saturday morning. So there you go.
1: Oh, but that's it, isn't it? Because I'm just—I mean, I don't think I'm as good at going in the sea as you're going in the pond. But I want to keep myself sea ready. Yes. I want to be used to that shock, which is really why I have a cold shower. And also, if I can't get in the sea as much as I'd like to, um, I feel like I'm having a bit
2: of those benefits. Hmm. And
1: also, because if you get, have a lovely hot shower, you just never
2: want to get out. You don't have that problem when the water's freezing. <laughs> it's amazing how sharpening of the morning happens in the cold shower.
0: I mean, the only reason I ever have a cold shower is because I worry about wasting water, and my house is infuriating in that you have to run the tap for a minute before it, anything gets hot. So I just get into it, you know, because I yeah. feel I have no choice. It's absolutely go. not wellness. <laughs> <laughs> just to clarify. <laughs> So I step into it, resigned, again, like a sort of dog.
1: The Cold War Jericho is a polarising one. So I've got a book for when you feel like no one understands you, which is a book that came out this year and I loved it so much. All these books came out this year, apart from um, Dorothy Whipple. This is Fight Night by Miriam Toes. And it's narrated by Swiv, who is 11. And Swiv Swiv has been suspended from school um, due to a bullying instant which wasn't really her fault and she's got to live with her very pregnant mother and grandma Elvira. Swiv is super smart and really 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 prudish and she's horrified by her mother and her grandmother being far too relaxed about bodily functions. Um, Her father's not around, she hates when her mum talks about when the baby's going to come, she's really really squeamish about it. Grandma Elvira is this exhilarating she's at a point in her life where she no longer gives a shit about anything, and she finds everything hilarious, and as we find in the book, Grandma Oliveira has been, she has lived through some very, very dark, awful stuff, and so her perspective on life now, and the painful, hard, difficult bits, like Grandma Oliveira thinks she can live through anything but life itself, and it's just hysterical I could not believe how funny this book was how clever this book was how strongly I was identifying with 11 year old Swiv. I mean also if you've read my book Insatiable you'll know I'm not prudish that I felt for this prude but she really really captures that extreme excruciating self consciousness of being a preteen, which I think we all still feel but it's really life-affirming and I don't say that lightly this is a book that isn't afraid of darkness, but by touching that darkness brings so much light in. It's really, it is genuinely exhilarating and joyous, but it doesn't shy away from pain. Um, It makes me think of something I heard about how it is said by some, life is supposed to be really, really tough and really, really difficult and really annoying and heartbreaking 50% of the time. If it's, not that if say it's only 30 percent of the time it might be because you're not really sort of living hard enough. like you're not opening your heart enough you're not taking the risks and you're not pushing yourself or and that sounds really I don't want to say like oh we must push ourselves and optimize and whatever but it's more and I was aware and I think to you know go back to my what I understood about my my drinking and my various low-level addictions and you know, what I'm learning in sobriety was a lot of the time I just felt a bit numb and safe and trying not to think about things. And that kind of accounted for the, oh, everything's just sort of okay. And I'm just not touching the sides. Um,
0: But then of course you lose the lows and you lose the highs. Yeah.
1: And that's... Then you don't
0: flourish. You can't flourish.
1: I think I read Fight Night in the early stages of not drinking. And it's it's a book that reminds you to be raw. Hmm. I think is the best way I can put it.
2: Well, there we go. Have we got time for one more? Yes, yes, of
1: course. It's have heaven. This is a book for grey days, and I'm being very, very literal here. This is Sunny by Suk Ujla. It's her first novel. She is a comedian. She's an actor, and she's a writer. She is a triple threat, and I hate her. But Sunny <laughs> is it's glorious. Um, the eponymous heroine has been living in London on her own. She's had a bad breakup and she's lost her job. She's got to move back in with her super strict Sikh parents and live the life that she sort of got used to enjoying as, you know, a Western woman. And she's sort of, she's hiding a dim in a in a drawer. She's taking part in family traditions while trying to date and trying to keep her parents at arm's length from her single life until her mum gets quite involved and it still as a love story but not the one you think and it really is about her and her mother not understanding each other and struggling and trying and kind of getting there and I loved I really 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 love Bridget Jones Diary I think Helen Fielding is one of the comic greats I am sick to the back teeth of every book that has a woman in her 20s or 30s who Feels a little bit chaotic. Being described as like it's the new Bridget Jones, but like no other author, I think seek has nailed that feeling of, sort of the anxiety, that musical chairs moment when you feel like everyone's sorting their lives out and you're not, and you don't want to be left behind, but also you don't know where you're going, and you feel directionless, but not purposeless, and not aimless, and just scared at a time when you feel like you really should be coming into your own. Um and it is it really made me laugh a lot. I've been I get sent a lot of books that are supposed to be hilarious. Um, and I think um, this <laughs> Sunny genuinely is. It is one of my very, very favourite books of twenty twenty two and I've just been like recommending it to everyone. And um, you know, people I've not seen for I'll be
2: like, hey how are you doing? And I'm like, fine, but you should read this book. <laughs> <So that's>, like, <laughs> exactly. Let's not talk about anything but this.
0: You want that in your people, though, don't you? You want. When I, mean, I think back to my 30s and the people who were, you know, feeling the, you know, the human frailty and didn't know where to go and were worried about feeling left behind and were out of the centre of the stuff that was, so we were supposed to be doing, are the ones who have become the kind of big girls in my life because they, you know, they, they were able to look into the eye of the storm and think, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm desperate to be in there, but I'm not, so how am I going to get through this? And sometimes it was really, really awful. And sometimes there were nervous breakdowns. It's a very weird, weird time when you think you're being left behind. But my God, is it enriching in the long run?
1: I think so. I think it's you know, it goes back to that, the sort of the 50-50 and developing inner resources that we think we must act, we must move, we must do something. And more often than not... There's everything to be gained from just sort of, you know, having a recce, from, from assessing for, you know, to go back to Lucy East Hope and when the dust settles, if you think, well, no, the dust is still settling. I can't see clearly. I can move towards what looks like the thing um without really being sure, because I, I feel like I can't afford to, to stand still. And actually, the, the older I get, the more I think the best advice I can ever give myself as well. What would I do if I wasn't panicking? What would I do if I wasn't scared? If I wasn't in this sort of hoarding, scarcity mode of just needing something? I was like, well, I wouldn't rush into this thing I feel obliged to do.
0: Don't just do something. Stand there, Daisy.
1: Yes. (laughs) That is our theme. That is our motif. That is.
0: I know, that's that's what we'll be doing all through Christmas. (laughs) I feel like you've given us the most enormous Christmas present. First, because you've talked so lyrically and so beautifully that we've just been able to relax and listen to your the narrative of your recommendations all of which i'm going to go and buy now emily will put them on the show notes and thank you for being our friend and thank you for coming to see us and thank you for all your beautiful recommendations yeah it was heaven
2: it was heaven
0: i'm always almost, I, almost I, tempted it, to say happy nuts. christmas
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh my god i <laughs> know can see the face i just made there <laughs> like actual shock <laughs> i feel like i've done a visit like i'm the ghost of christmas something <laughs> Going to Christmas
1: Books. bookshelves, yet? Yes,
0: no. you are a ah. visit or a visit to some kind of institution, <laughs> which I'm being currently <laughs> yeah. housed. Also possible.
1: <laughs> Thanks, Daisy. Oh, Daisy, thank yeah, you so thank much. Thank
0: you so much.
1: It has been glorious. Thank you so much for having me.
0: You've been listening to Annabel Rifkin and Emily McMeekin of The Mid Alt. Our book, "I'm Absolutely Fine," is out now. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, and
2: subscribe.